the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Alec Perry and this is Thrill of the Hill. In this episode of Thrill of the Hill, I sit down with beef and business consultant Robert Ramsey and we discuss the implications of calving on climate change and farm efficiency and take a broader look at the beef sector in general. Hello Robert, how's it going? Good, thanks Alec, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good. Um, it's good to have you back on. You're uh, one of our recurring speakers this year, so uh, welcome back. You're a glutton for punishment, Alec. <laughs> so, Robert, uh, we'll just jump right into it then. Um, what's been happening in the world of beef? Yeah, a lot. So the beef, the beef jobs, um, if you asked me this time last year, um, I'd probably be quite depressed. You know, things were things were genuinely in a, in a really, really difficult position. And a lot of people, now we often talk about how there's no money in beef and, um, you know, margins are tight. But at that point, there were genuinely was, there was less than no money in beef. It was a real difficult time. And, and a lot of producers were really beginning to question whether they had a viable business and whether the thing was actually going to work going forward. Uh, and then obviously a lot in the last 12 months, a lot has happened. And with obviously COVID has been a, a massive impact on, on all our lives. And I don't think there's any beef farmers out there that would say that uh, COVID has been a good thing because, it, you know, it's been an, an awful thing for, for all of humanity, but it certainly has had a, it's been a, a real shock, um, economic shock. And, and one of the, the sectors that's benefited from that has been, has been beef. Um, so we've lost, we lost the hospitality sector, but we've, gained a huge amount of uh, domestic demand, so demand from the, the household. Um, so beef, basically, we, we at this stage, we can't really produce enough um, to supply, uh, supply demand. Uh, and that's on a backdrop or with a backdrop of declining suckler cow numbers, um, supply and demand would you know, has has played out and we've landed up with uh, pretty strong prices and uh, for finished cattle, and that's trickled right back down through. Um, store trade's been amazing, and breeding cattle have also been amazing as well. So, uh, yeah, been really interesting times for beef. And uh, Robert, we're hoping to get Leslie Wiley on to discuss finishing cattle with us um, in just a little bit. But um, can you outline for the listeners when you're talking about store cattle, what are you what are you referring to? Not all farms in the country are, are capable of, of producing what they need uh, or, or strong enough land to actually finish cattle. So they'd actually focus on, on breeding cattle. And we're now in, a, in a, uh, an industry that we're, we're getting pretty specialised. So we've got some actually quite a, a, a low number of very specialist big finishers uh, who are buying significant numbers of store cattle. Uh, many will be finishing uh, multiple thousands in the year. Um, and then there's also the specialist breeders who are producing, um, they're selling calves that will be between probably six months and about 18 months old would be your normal kind of store cattle. So you're six months old and beyond are suckled calves. So some are sold off their mother. And then your traditional store cattle are um, about a year old and they've you, you retain them for the first year of their life on the, on the holding of birth and then sell them on to a finisher. And Robert, calving then is obviously absolutely critical uh, for for beef farmers and for for store uh, beef farmers. Can you just discuss a little bit um, around the 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 calving period, um, what you like to see in terms of good practice when you're calving, and uh, yeah, just to give us a bit of an overview. Yeah, how long have we got? That's a it's a, a big topic, but obviously. A beef farmer, it's interesting, we, we compare, you know, the, the beef system and the dairy system, you've got a, you know, to start with, we're, we're, we're working with an, an adult cow and the 
similarities probably stop at that point. Your dairy farm, you've got um, a pile of milk to sell plus a calf as a byproduct, whereas the, the suckler cow, you've only got that calf. So that calf is absolutely critical to the success of that business and, and calf survival would drive absolutely everything from top to bottom. If we can get more calves in the ground, um, certainly financial performance of our business and, and now more and more importantly, uh, the carbon performance of that business, the environmental credentials of that business are improved because you don't have the maintenance of that cow without a calf, you've got a product to sell. So for everybody, and, and we know this, I mean, that this is what basically what we've been trying to do since um since we first domesticated bovine animals it's it's nothing new but the more a emphasis we can put on that calf survival the better if we look at it on a, a national average we would we would see depending on who you who what figures you use but as a country we're we're, we're weaning between 80 and 90 calves per 100 cows that we put to the bull so there's a lot of potential there's a lot of scope there to get to get these beef systems a lot more efficient and again that's back to that that's financial and and environmental so um yeah calving time i think is the second most important time for for calf a or ultimately getting more calves in the ground the most important time is actually bulling time so getting getting cows fit to bull getting good grass into them and, and getting making sure that fertility is absolutely tip top that's where the biggest gains are and and i think that's a point i make that before we start talking about calving because we do we mourn the calf that we lose you know it, it really ruins your day it can it has a big impact on us and a big impact on on mental health in some cases as well losing a calf it's a it's a difficult or certainly losing a succession of calves is a a really difficult place to be we're all we've all been there and and, and we'll always That'll always happen. We're dealing with nature. There's always going to be losses, but actually, we never mourn the calf that's that we don't get. You know, that when we're scanning cows in the autumn, um, you know, we just accept that those three or four are empty, and actually, they're the most significant loss in the in the full system. Granted, we do get, a, or we we should have a cull cow out of that job, so it's not the end of the world. But it's certainly as far as getting improving your weaning percentage that fertility aspect is really important but then your question alec was obviously we're looking uh, towards calving many will have started calving and, and most people will be just just on the on the brink of starting spring calving and and really there's there's so much to discuss and um, we've actually just run a a five evening webinar series and, and again we've we've covered a lot of good stuff but we've really only only scratched the surface so the one Pre-calving nutrition, I think, would be my most important area. So, so making making sure that these cows, you know, often your suckler cow's been running on a fairly poor, fairly cheap diet through the winter, and trying to get her to lose a bit of condition. Certainly, this year cows came in pretty, pretty, pretty well. They came in, in pretty good form across the country. Um, that does have to change a bit in in the run up to calving, and we should be looking at improving energy a little certainly improving the protein and, and, and particularly improving the minerals going into these cows and making sure that what what, they've, what they're getting is allowing them to produce the best quality colostrum they possibly can. So that first milk going into that calf um, is the most important thing you can do. Um, if you get that bit right, the rest of it should follow. So pre-calving nutrition really important. And I think at, at this stage in the um, immediate pre-calving period, it's well worth having a conversation with um, somebody else, your vet, a nutritionist, somebody just to run run your ration past them, let them see your cows, and just get a just double check that what you're doing is actually providing what these cows need. And and a lot of this stuff can be fixed. Um, you know, if there's if there's a mineral deficiency or, or a problem, it can be fixed. But the sooner it's fixed, the better. Um, in most cases across the country, we won't be dealing with a lot of lean cows. There's always, a, you know, there are lean cows out there every year. Every situation is different. Um, and the management of those lean cows is, is particularly challenging because 
we need her to calve, produce colostrum, which is, again, a big drain on her energy. But we also need her to start cycling again uh, and get going to make sure that fertility is good for next year. So we, we should probably be looking at those extreme cows, so the, the very fit ones and the, and the very lean ones. Uh, there's an old story about or a, a theory that if we feed cows pre-calving, all you'll do is feed the calf. And actually, for a, for a lean cow... It's not. It's not actually the case that actually the um, putting a bit more nutrition into her will actually do her her a uh, more good than it'll do the calves. So there's um, there's not nearly that risk that we thought there was. So lean cows don't be scared to put and don't go daft, but don't be scared to put put a bit of feeding into them just to try and give them that wee lift they need to make sure that they'll they'll calve down in, in as good form as you can get them, and also focus on you know post calving making sure that everything's as, as as fit as it can be to bull. So prioritising the best grass to the younger younger cows, so new newly new calved heifers, particularly two year old heifers, um second calvers, lean cows, cows that have had twins, cows that have had problems, perhaps lame cows, they're needing the best nutrition they've got. And they would actually also benefit from a wee bit of a you know a bit of a vet check, get somebody in to have a wee look if they've, if they've retained a cleaning or they've um, they've got whites, they've got some issue. If it can be addressed in the in that post calving pre bulling period, you've got a great chance of getting uh, more cows and calf, which as I say drives drives everything. And other than that, calving time. I'm conscious this is quite a long answer, Alec, but um, the hygiene is obviously hugely important. Um, that getting you know, doing everything we can. And we know this year's straw is expensive and it's scarce, um, but there's nothing beats a good dry bed, a good dry clean bed, particularly for that baby calf. You want to keep its navel clean. You want to keep its body warm and, you know, do everything you can. And one thing that I think is really interesting is the um, a, a creation of a calf refuge. So a, a calf refuge sounds like a really expensive you know fancy sophisticated thing it's actually a strand of barbed wire, a strand of electric wire or a gate a few gates with a creek gate in the middle an upside down uh, upside down ring feeder basically creating somewhere in that pen where you can have a, a nice dedicated dry bed for calves that the cows don't get access to because your cows your cows, you don't want your cows to be dirty by any means, but you want those calves to be spotless. So if you can create an area in the shed um, that's that's dedicated for calves, and as I say, it's as simple as hanging some, you know, a strand of electric wire or through through the pen or hang it off the off the roof, um, and create a wee area, just a corner or a, a half a bay. Um, or one that I've seen people do is putting a five foot calf refuge down the back or just a, a line of electric wire down the back of the shed, five foot off the wall and it gives you a great place to roll the last of the, the straw out of bale. Uh, you've got the width of a, a straw bale and you've got a perfect lovely dry bed that the cows can get close to the calf, can see the calf and the calf will run back and forward just uh, as as and when it needs to needs to suckle. So a great a great system I think for this year when we've got um, you know a more more challenging straw market to deal with. And last very last but the very most important thing about calving, I I think the most important thing anyone can do at calving is make sure that they are safe. Um, we talk about calf survival and we talk about getting lots of colostrum into calves and getting uh, dipping navels and uh, intervening with calves, with calving cows. We don't talk enough about actually, if none of that can be done safely, don't do any of it because your life is, you know, saving a calf's life is an admirable, admirable job and it's something that from a business perspective we need to do, but none of that matters if you're dead. So, Health and safety, absolutely. It's a very boring subject, but it's a very exciting subject if you get it wrong. Um, so health and safety is really important. And the one thing I would say is checks for your mobile phone. So at this stage, um, your mobile phone will only save you if it's in your pocket, if it's got charge and it has reception. So those three things are something that's are worth checking with you, with your teams, with your family members, and make sure that wherever they might be, if they might have a problem, 
make sure that those phones are on them, are charged and have reception. The other thing is, uh, the fourth part of that is, at this time of year as well, probably ignoring phone calls from family members or, or other people in your business is quite a dangerous thing to do as well. And there's stories of that, of people who, who did phone um, when they were in a difficult place and sadly didn't get the, didn't get the help they were needing. So I think keep that in mind and, and basically above all else, make sure you're safe, make sure you're here to um, deal with calving 2022. Robert, at the start of the podcast there, you, you mentioned the importance of, of calf health. Obviously, we're, we're in calving time now, like you say. Can you just talk a little bit more about the importance of bringing that calf on, getting it to a good weight and getting it off the farm? We, we've talked a bit about uh, methane production. Um, obviously, you want that live calf to offset farm emissions. But can you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's a really good question, Alec. Um, getting... It's increasingly important to get calves. Calf growth rate is really probably the most important after fertility eh, on a per head basis. You, a good growth rate is really essential. When you look at, so the store producer um, needs to be supplying the calf that's what the market wants. What the finisher wants to buy is a calf that has a, a decent weight for its age so they want a good weight for age and that's probably that calf that's certainly over 400 kilos at a year old or probably you know over 300 kilos at weaning you know a, a decent strong calf that's going to go on and do and that's that's mostly at the moment driven by finance you know that's that's driven by market specifications so we've now got carcass weight limits of a uh, 400 kilos so your your dead weight limit is 400 kilos and those young thriving calves they get through the system they get to weight they get a way out the system quicker better and are, are more economical but the backstory and the backstory is more important is that actually from a carbon perspective every day that animal's alive the maintenance element it's a, a proportion of its energy is is devoted to to maintenance every day it's alive that amount of energy is required to only to keep that animal alive and production only is only given by the the remaining uh, the remaining bit of energy in the diet so the emission point of view we need to get these animals moving get them off farm uh, without without i mean and we're not talking about going to veal calf type systems or anything extreme but i think the days of of cattle going as you know forward stores and then going on to a finishing system are probably getting they're nearing their end we want to have a a good weight for age and killing cattle a bit younger while the the easiest way of doing that is to get a lot of cereal into them a lot of creep feeding and a, a lot of concentrate we need to be making high quality forage and actually trying to reduce the feed that's going into them too or or optimize the feeding that's going into them so rather than making mediocre silage and, and pumping a lot of cake into them we should be trying to make the most of the asset the main asset we've got which is our our land and our soil and produce as high quality forage as we possibly can now that's different on every farm you know some some farms can grow grass for fun and can grow quality forage with ease other farms other environments are more challenging so you can only work with what you've got but certainly um improving forage quality and improving growth rates are a huge driver for um, reducing uh, overall methane emissions. And and the bonus that we get, if we improve forage quality, you get a higher growth rate, but you also, there's less fibre in the diet. So you actually, the, there's less bugs in the rumen that digest the, the fibre, and they're the ones that produce the methane to start with. So there's, a, there's lots of wins out there, but good a good crop of calves growing fast eh, and getting off farm pretty young is the most efficient system we're going to have. And Robert, just on the topic of uh, health and safety, we, we talked about um, the health of the farmer at calving. Do you have any 
kind of tips or any kind of traits that people should be looking out for when they're looking at the cows in the herd um, kind of behaviors that uh, would disqualify you from staying on another year? What what should we be looking for? My late uncle always used to talk about the type of cow that wanted to leave the shed, not through the door, but through the skylight. Um, so they're the ones definitely, there's the obvious ones, the ones who are really flighty, fiery, angry, but often it's hard to tell who they are in the in the pre-calving, you know, in the quiet time at the moment, nothing much is happening, cows are lying, it's hard to, hard to know who those problems are. And a lot of these problems are actually, it's very acute, you know, you get a very, a lots of hormone changes happening in cows uh, at, at and around calving and and they become different animals altogether. So um, that's what I was saying earlier is your your angriest cow, um, or, or sorry, your, your quietest cow in the herd might well be the one that becomes pretty fiery later in life or, or, or later. No, your angriest cow in the herd might well be the one who hormone-wise changes and becomes pretty aggressive just at calving time so it's dangerous to say she's safe and she's not they're all cows and they're all 10 times our weight and certainly capable of doing us significant harm so but how do we how do we pick them there's one one thing you can do is is to have more contact with them and the challenge there is we're all running more cows running harder as margins get tighter so we've got more often more mechanized and less um, human contact with with cattle so one of the best things you can do is make sure they they see you without either a syringe in your hand or or some nasty process nasty procedure that's going to happen so um a walk through your cows is quite quite a handy thing to do and and lack of time is a big issue somebody actually had suggested that a good option or a good time to do it is see if, if you're on your phone to someone is actually just to wander around a pen. This is not at calving time, by the way. This is uh, through the winter. Um, just wander around that that pen and just just allow them to understand what you're doing uh, or what you're all about. The cow that never takes its eye off you, even you know at, at this pre-calving period, there's a cow that's always got its eye on you. It's likely to be one that's slightly more more flighty. And then also the ones. The crush is a really good place to see it as well. So flight time from the crush uh, is an interesting point as well. So there's there's those cows that hit the crush and don't stop running. You know, they keep running and running on the spot. Um, they're probably likely to be pretty fiery. Um, but there's it's a kind of genetics and environment thing too. Genetics is really important. Uh, temperament's a heritable trait. Um, and actually, if you think about what happens it makes a lot of sense so if you've got a cow that's very stressed and very um you know it's in a a stressful environment in mid-pregnancy it actually passes its stress hormones across the placenta into the calf and the calf is then getting predisposed to dealing with that scary environment so it's uh if we go back to evolution and go back to the jungle um this is the the cows actually trying to set that that calve up to have the best chance of survival. So if you've got a very stressed, angry cow who's getting herself wound up, she's going to have a, a calf that's going to be wound up as well. So actually, culling is the most important thing we can do. Get these ladies out the system. Absolutely no second chances. Uh, and if there's daughters in the herd, I would um, seriously consider about... Um, certainly looking at their temperament but if there's any doubt with them I would get them down the road too. Robert my next question to you was going to be around sustainable practice uh, for for beef farmers we know that the sustainable agriculture capital grant has been really popular we know that there are farmers out there who have made big investments in various pieces of kit things like calving cameras um, could be quite topical for what you just said there are you optimistic about the the success of the scheme i mean what's your what's your general thoughts and what's some of the feedback that you've had now yeah. that the farmers are getting that kit yeah so i think the feed the, the feedbacks the feedback's mixed for that scheme and 
and it was a pilot scheme for a reason. You know, they they made it quite clear at the start it was a pilot. They're giving things a go, and and I think as farmers, there's a lot of good stuff available there that is some of it's not groundbreaking, you know, super duper amazing kit, but it is stuff that's going to make us better at what we do, and that's basically where we need to get to and, and the future of support really is based on us being better than we were before so there's a lot of things there's a lot of items on that list that I think are um, certainly have a positive and although the scheme is all about climate change and reducing emissions my head always goes to money and and actually there's a lot of things there particularly from a beef perspective there's a lot of things in that list that can make make your life easier and also make you more money. Um, so, and as, as Alex, as you said, your, your calving cameras, calving gates, those fairly low low priced items um, have a potentially, the return on investment's huge on those items. And, and probably one of the criticisms of the scheme has been that it's rewarding people who didn't take up the technology quicker. You know, the ones who took it up the, the quickest won't get a grant on it and that's unfortunate that's that's the world we live in um but certainly there's there's loads of evidence out there to suggest that um these technologies um certainly do make things an awful lot a lot easier and if something's easy it gets done so the the calving gate from certainly from my my own experience and from from speaking to others the calving gates are used frequently for for calving cows but even more frequently for for suckling calves so getting more you know topping calves up or or um you know making sure that that calves had enough colostrum which is that after you've got a live calf in the ground it's it's the most important next step so um or somebody somebody put it to me actually a a few months ago is that you don't actually have a live calf until it's got colostrum in it that's where we need to have our our attitude should be uh, the calves only. It's only a successful calving if you've got colostrum into that calf's belly. So the calving gate gives us a, a a good facility to do to do that. Usually in the same shed, nice and easy. So you just you just get it done rather than uh, hauling something all the way around the steading to get to the crust and things. So easier. The beauty I, we got a calving camera a few years ago, and I've got no issue getting out of my bed to calve a cow. But I really I'm sure I'm not alone. And when you get out of, out of bed to not calve a cow, it's really pretty, um, you know, it's it's not disappointing because you're pleased to get back to bed, but it's a kind of wasted trip and the bed's usually quite cold by the time you get back. So um, calving camera is a great way of monitoring things from a distance even more. And the other thing that it's good for is, is actually when you monitor something from a distance, it's totally natural behaviour they're expressing rather than, the behaviour that you think is natural, but when you're leaning over a gate watching them calve, they're also they've got one eye on you. So when you're not there, they generally get on with it a little better. So your calving camera is a great thing. And the other one, probably for the shoulders of the season, so for your your very early ones and your very late ones, when your eyes on other things, your calving detectors are very useful as well. So you know the the, the moo call type. There's other sensors available but the tail mounted sensor that tells you gives you some really good information by text actually to see um what's happening who's needing who's needing a hand and and that's a really good tool particularly in later on in the spring once you're into plowing and drilling barley and things it's it's good to be able to monitor um with one of those items as well so yeah there's a lot of good stuff and we could talk all day about all the other stuff on it. Some of it, um, maybe I can see less of a benefit too. But I see. I think it's all, you know, it's all very well intentioned, and I think the end result will be hopefully pretty positive. And Robert, I'm not going to hold you to this, but where do you see policy moving in the future with regards to the beef sector? I think even wider than just the beef se- sector, Alec, I think I'd say everything's going to be focused on carbon and w- you wouldn't have to be a, any kind of beef specialist or a psychic to, to work that one out. Really, it's carbon is, is where we're going and there's some really ambitious targets to make carbon reductions. So going forward, um, 
big reductions by 2030, huge reductions by 2050. Um, we've We've got a job of work to do, and and certainly there's there's a lot of scope um, for the agricultural sector to contribute to, to towards net zero down the line, um, and yeah. So I, the, we've we've spoken about public goods in the past, but the, the biggest um, you know the biggest thing we can do really is is reduce that carbon footprint, and and I would definitely there's an easy way of doing that in the beef sector, and it's to stop having a beef sector. And that's not a place, I'll put it on record, that's not a place I want to go, not least because I'm a beef farmer who's a beef consultant. You know, it wouldn't be a good look. Uh, it wouldn't be particularly good for me. But I do think we've got a, a wonderful beef industry that's got a huge amount to give. I think it it gives more than it takes. You know, I think it, from a, a, we've got a methane issue. We do produce some methane. We do have an impact on on the climate change um models but we also we manage habitats we uh, we manage soils we manage local communities um and so yeah as beef farmers we manage a uh, we manage soils we manage um habitats so loss of biodiversity is a huge issue and, and also going to be a big issue with policy as well so we need we need cattle we need cattle and sheep grazing in, in upland environments to to manage the you know, the, Scotland as we know it, and and Scotland as we know it has has to change. But I think that we are the a big part of the fabric of, of what makes Scotland Scotland. And I think the beef sector is, is going to have to change. There's, there's things going to have to happen. Um, but I think we've got a I think we've got a pretty bright future in front of us. To, honest, to be honest, I think once we we're learning more, we're we're developing. Um, more understanding about the science of soils and of grass and sequestration and I think while some people are, are viewing that as the you know the the golden ticket to do nothing I, I, I totally disagree with that you know if we've got the climate change issue we've got isn't an agricultural issue it isn't a car or a, an aviation issue it, we, we are all affected by this we're all in this together um, so where I think we'll get to is where, um, you know, we can we develop a low carbon beef system. So through genetics, feed additives, you know, all the different a uh, science, different types of uh, different options we've got available. Um, we develop a low carbon beef system, but we also have a much better understanding of how we manage soils, how we manage grass. Uh, to sequester more carbon and we actually become a you know part of the solution rather than the the you know at the moment where the or we have been the all the problems you know planes were fine everything was fine but cows grazing on hills were the biggest problem and i, I just I, I can't subscribe to that one to be honest and i think as we develop a better understanding of what's happening we suddenly see how important that that grazing animal actually is I think you and I kind of broadly agree on that, and and we have discussed that in the past. Robert, you mentioned how our beef sector is going to have to improve. How does our beef sector measure up to other international sectors, other countries out there? There's one one part that I suppose annoys me a wee bit, Alec, is when we lie to our consumer you know i think lying to our consumer is a very dangerous thing to do and and that's also sounds a bit blunt for me and, I, and and i'll expand a wee bit so we often often hear it said that scotland produces the best beef in the world now to me that's a dangerous statement to make because scotland will produce we've produced some fantastic beef we've got a wonderful beef sector but we also produce some pretty mediocre beef as well you know we've got we've got a range of beef um, we definitely produce, without doubt, we produce the safest and the most traceable beef in the world. And that's somewhere we need to, I don't think we shout nearly enough about that. We started shouting a wee bit about that when Brexit was, you know, was happening, un unravelling. And it's, I'm conscious there's a lot of Brexit still to unravel. But um, the traceability, welfare standards, you know, we've got a, We've got a lot to talk about there. As far as eating quality and 
a actual beef. We've got we've actually got a very diverse beef system. So we've got loads of breeds. We've got loads of finishing systems. Whereas some other many other countries have got a pretty straightforward beef sector, which makes their beef consistent. And consistent means that those people cooking it can actually make a a, a consistent consistently good job. Means it hits the plate the same. So I think we've got some work to do to um, improve the consistency of Scotch beef. So I was in Argentina uh, and, whoa, seven years ago. Um, I had 17 steaks in nine days, which I would say everything in, um, you know, you can you can get too much of a good thing, definitely. Um, but 17 steaks and I had 17 of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. And that's from probably a place where we are saying at the moment that we, we are better than them. And as far as producing beef, or not. So going back to your original question, Alec, about how do we stack up against the rest? So probably from a carbon footprint perspective, there are there are better. You know, there's if you look at the carbon footprint of a intensively fed a feedlot system, particularly in a unhoused, a warm part of the world, your carbon footprint's better than it is here. Um, so that you know that that initially sounds bad but what we I think need to do is start we need to stop we we can't stop talking about carbon footprint but carbon footprint is only one part of the argument environmental footprint so from an environmental perspective the impact of so we we, we produce there's there's a carbon emission from what we do there's also so many positive environmental stories that we've got managing habitats and basically local locally produced beef we've got control over the environmental credentials of that beef the environmental footprint of south american or or american feedlots feedlot beef is pretty grim you know it's it's maize it's soya um it's vast swathes of ground with um you know pens of cattle dung going on dung going all roads we've we've as consumers, we've got no control over that system. So how do we stack up compared to that in an environmental context? Really, really well. Scotch beef is should hold its head high and, and, and be proud that we, we produce a very environmentally sensitive product. The methane end of that is a challenge. So we've got suckler, suckler cows um, who are emitting methane but as I say, we're, we're focusing on one single trait. And you only need to look at the Holstein cow. So the Holstein cow or, or a broiler chicken might be an even better example. If you focus on one trait, um, you lose absolutely everything else. And, and my concern is we focus entirely on carbon and we forget about all the other good stuff that the beef sector does. One of my beliefs, and I'm not sure how warranted it is, is that you know, eventually we will get on top of the climate crisis, whether that's through the invention of some kind of carbon capture technology or whether it's through, you know, conventional planting of trees and reduction of, of livestock. But like you say, I don't think we can take our eyes off the issues with biodiversity decline. And one of the recurring themes of the podcast that I've been recording this year so far is that there is this awareness of the need to balance priorities. I spoke recently with, with Kirsten Williams, who is both of our colleagues, um, and uh, you know she was very open about the need to remove waste from the production system and to really build on efficiencies, but also that there was a good environmental story there. Now, in the next couple of days, I'll be sitting down with uh, with members who had previously worked on the 1.5 degrees in agriculture report. And having read through it with them, I think we're getting exactly the same message um, that, you know, we need to have this balanced approach and that while carbon is important and, you know, it should be a priority, there are other things that we can't take our eyes off. Yeah, without a doubt. And I should, I mean, Kirsten's my boss as well, so I can't exactly go out and disagree, but I couldn't agree more, you know, balancing priorities. It is, everything's about balance. And yeah, the, the, again, 
I don't want to go media media bashing, but the media certainly has had it. There was no balance in the media. That's that's for sure. That we were getting um, pilloried for for what we were doing, and it's really tough. I, I I find it difficult when I put my farmer hat back on. See, when you're doing the best you can to do, you're doing everything you can to do the best job you possibly can, and you're getting told you're doing a bad job when you're ruining everything. It's really really tough on you. Like it's really it's hard going. It's hard to deal with. But I think that message is changing. You know, I think we're getting a better understanding and I think certainly the media's had plenty of other things to talk about in the last few while and there will be the the critics of what we do will still be out there but I think we've we're heading in the right direction with it. And and like you Alec, I do hope um I mean if you didn't think we could control or we could get on top of the, the, the climate change issue you know, well, there's not a lot of hope for for any of us, really, is it? You know, it, it's um, we've got to be hopeful that it, it's going to work, um, but we have to make changes. There's there's got to be sacrifices made, and as you mentioned, Alec, there's there's um, changes of system and trees and technology and things. The tree thing is interesting because I find it um, a bit of a challenge that trees are the answer. And we fell them and burn them, but beef's bad because it produces carbon, but it manages grass. So there's there's a lot of understanding that has to happen, a changes in understanding at a policy level, at a government level as well, to see what the right option is here. Because to me, I can see how a car a tree is carbon neutral, like I can, or I can see how a sorry wood fuel is carbon neutral, if you look at it over the 80 year life period of a, a lifespan of a tree, but. At this point, when we're dealing with a, a, a climate crisis, we're needing to reduce emissions. We need to stop taking 80 years worth of carbon and burning it. Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people who, because they were talking about beef the whole time, there's a, there's a lot of other sectors who could do would be coming under a bit of scrutiny as well. Um, but yeah, there's there's no doubt it's all about balance. And and to me, actually, biodiversity loss. I find it they go hand in hand. You know, climate change will drive some of that, but um, biodiversity loss for me is a bigger worry. It's a much sadder story when you see our our um, the activities that we are doing a uh, having a huge detrimental impact on on other living beings. I, I really I struggle with that, and and I think any any beef farmer, any any upland farmer would agree. You know, we, we one of the best things we do when we're farming is is farming amongst nature and, and see what else is happening. And you see this beginning to just see some signs that spring's coming. Um and it's a great thing to see things getting going and things happening and, and I, I hope that we can we can get in control of that too so that my kids and my grandkids can have the same experience when it comes to springs and summers as well. Robert, we've talked a bit about climate change and biodiversity decline now, and I don't want you to point figure, uh, fingers at, uh, at various different types of enterprises within the beef sector, but do you have a sense that, you know, maybe your suckler um, store cattle are producing less uh, emissions than maybe your intensive finishing beef? Maybe that's sounds really common sense but is there an area in the beef sector that you think that is the area that we need to target for improvement well it's hard because when we're looking purely at methane so methane is caused by bugs in the rumen of a cow digesting fiber so this and i'm conscious this is the thrill of the hill this is an, an upland podcast probably the biggest contributor to methane would be a hill cow or per head. So a hill cow grazing poor quality forage will produce quite a lot of methane and not a huge amount of product. You know, that, that cow, she's not producing a massive big calf, but that's not to say that the system is bad. So the system would be on a, it depends how you measure it. So is it on a per head, per system, per kilo of output basis? You can make these figures as positive or as negative about 
your business as you want it to be, as you want them to be. So it's it's a difficult question to a- answer, Alec, because as I say, that upland upland hill cow grazing, poor quality forage, weaning a light calf, is contributing quite a lot to that. To the, um, or she's producing more methane than a a cow on on better quality forage. And, and then you could always- you could also argue that your your feedlot system, where you're feeding mostly cereal. In fact, in fact, in many uh, American feedlots, there's no forage at all. Um, so you're feeding cows like a pig, so they actually become like a pig, and the rumen doesn't really work. They're, you know, you're you're farming against nature there, but they don't produce a lot of methane at all. But as I said before, they they really, what are we trying to achieve? Because that that methane, that that cow standing on the top of a hill, managing that ecosystem, cannot be destroying the planet. And I suppose you've kind of highlighted it there, but there is this trade-off here in that, you know, maybe your upland cow that, uh, like you say, isn't a particularly efficient cow in comparison to to finishing uh, beef, they are nevertheless contributing to to the, the habitat management on that hill. So were we to, instead of, say, carry out a carbon audit we were to carry out an ecological audit we may very well come away saying that actually your hill upland cow is much better in terms of uh, maintaining ecology on a hill than your um, indoor or intensively finished beef cow on a, a lowland farm yeah and and the other i think and this is probably me verging into opinion rather than maybe i've been on opinion for a wee while but um my view if we so we remove in a hypothetical world in the the vegan the vegan state um we get rid of all the cows those cows in, in a hill environment will be replaced by deer pretty fast and the cow actually she's she's rubbish at grazing you know she's she's really poor at selecting what she wants to eat she's got a great big broad muzzle on her so she eats roughly, she tears at vegetation and she does a wee bit poaching on the way and quite a bit of dunging. And mm-hmm. actually all of that opens up, opens up swords, provi- provides a, a, a little fertility into the, into the system and actually encourages a hugely diverse sward and, and a ecosystem to develop on that hill. Whereas the deer would be similar to a sheep as a you know as a nibbling grazer as something that can can pick out pick out the sweeties and leave the rubbish behind it. That actually that the cow in the upland environment is I think that one of the most important tools that we've got for biodiversity. And Robert, just closing the podcast off Do you want to give our listeners a kind of overview of some of the things that you've got coming up under the Farm Advisory Service? Um, Yeah, so we've got a whole load of stuff. We are very lucky that the job we do has changed a lot, but we're still, you know, we've plenty work to do. We've got um, working with farmers. Farming's been in a... um, reasonably insulated position from all the lockdown and all the you know farmers uh, live on their place of work generally live in their place of work and and have to go on with it from a welfare perspective so that that trickles down to us as well that what we do has kept going on throughout this too which has, has been great unfortunately for us we've been a uh, all virtual so we've been uh, doing a lot of um webinar stuff and a lot of video work as well which has been has been really good but we do I certainly do really miss getting rooms full of farmers and getting getting out and about and really uh, getting those two-way conversations because I'm sure there would be people would be like would be disagreeing with some of what I've said today or um, would be keen to have a expand on what what I have said. So um, we're certainly we're missing that, but we've got a, a huge array of stuff on the go and, a, and a, certainly a full itinerary going forward. So. Um, uh, we some specialists uh, the specialist team we support um the offices and we support much of what the farm advisory service do so we've got quite a bit of work to do with a uh, the farm advisory service tv channel that's going to be coming out soon um which is really quite exciting new way of delivering things and then a broad series of 
of webinars and video material uh, to come out in, in due course. And Robert, just one last question. I ask this to everybody. You will have heard this last year when we recorded uh, our first episode with you. But is there anything going on in the industry right now that you want to spotlight something that you think farmers should be paying more attention to? One area that we've, we've probably pushed too hard as an industry is is diversification. And we've said, you know, suckler cows aren't paying, so we'll need to go and, and do something else, move into something else. And I, I totally agree. You know, I think that's a great thing to do, but we have to keep in mind what's happened in the last year. And I look at a lot of diversified businesses at the moment that are now propped up by the suckler cows who the diversification was brought in to prop up, if that makes sense. So um, I think that we need to, at this stage, we need to acknowledge the importance of food production, of our role as food producers and our role as um, custodians of the countryside. Um, and we need to really start shouting, start telling people all those good things we do. And and I, I'll be honest, I'm not the most active Facebook or, or social media type person, um, but I do see a lot of people getting really involved in that. And I think it's a wonderful thing to, to see people pointing out. So first of all, they're pointing out how good this industry is. And that's from a careers point of view, from an environmental point of view. You know, it's a... I think it's a great shop window that we've got and a, a great opportunity to to tell our consumer, to, to engage with our consumer and tell them what, we, um, what we're all about. So what's the one thing we should all be going out and doing is telling people that we are not, we're not, the, we're not the answer to all of life's questions, but we're also not all that's wrong in the world as well. So tell people, show people what we do and encourage questions, encourage people into businesses to see what we're all about. Uh, and make sure we can uh, we can build this industry into uh, or make sure we've got another many hundreds of years in front of us as as beef and sheep farmers in the hills. Great. Uh, well, thanks very much, Robert, for joining us. We'll hopefully have you back for season three. Excellent. Thank you for listening to this episode of Thrill of the Hill, part of Scotland's Farm Advisory Service podcast. If you have any questions about any of the content covered here today, please do not hesitate to get in touch at 0300 323 0161 or contact us by email at advice at faz.scot.